0: Today I'm going to do something that's different. I normally have my great interpreter standing right here for me, but I'm going to sign and talk at the same time. Now this seems easy, but ASL and English are two completely different languages with different grammar and syntax and word order and all these different parts of it. Um, So I normally don't do that when I do publicly, because normally I have to pick one or the other. in terms of that process. Um, but in conversations, and in my interactions, with my deaf and hard of hearing friends and stuff, I, a lot of times we do uh, what they call SIMCOM uh, in terms of signing and, and um, talking at the same time. Now what that will mean is there will probably be times when one language is getting ahead of the other language and I'm, I'll have to pause a little bit and maybe be a little more halting and different things like that. But I don't know if you know, some, most of you do, that we have two deaf children. And so I love all my family. And so we never want to exclude anyone in our family or the people that I work with as I lead the deaf church together um, across the country. And so what we're doing. So this will be a little different. But I encourage you to really focus on um, God and his word and the impact of the scripture today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for clarity for both the hearing and the deaf, and I thank you for the holy scriptures and the Holy Spirit who opens our minds and our hearts to what we need to know. And in Jesus' name, amen. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, and I particularly love the Gospel of John uh, the other three gosp- Gospels um, are wonderful in terms of giving the order of everything that happened. And those were written around 60 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus had uh, died, resurrected, and ascended back to, to heaven. Um, at 70 A.D., around 10 years later, 5 to 10 years after the first three were written, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. That they came in and they destroyed the temple. And so uh, when John lived to be a very old age, old age, old, I guess that's just one sign. John lived a long time. Um, And so he had the benefit of sort of seeing how the Christian faith was spreading around the world in um, Rome and in the Greek areas. And in Egypt in particular those areas as well as other parts of of the world and he was seeing sort of the beginnings of the impact of heresy and cults and people who were twisting and distorting uh, the gospel that they had and so when you read his gospel remember he didn't die until maybe 20 years after the the fall of Jerusalem Um, so he was Writing about people that he knew and loved, who were already dead, who were already been martyred um, for following Jesus, and it just as you read it, John the the apostle of love, the one of forgiveness, just to know the impact that must have had on on him as he was writing these stories. So what he's writing is making sure that that he's hitting the deeper theological, theological understanding of Jesus and who he was and, and set it up in saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You know and That's his birth narrative because he knows that we already got it covered in the other three gospels but he wanted to make sure people understood Jesus was not created by God. Jesus was eternal, coexisting with God. And that became much more and more important over time as we were trying to develop the theology of the Christian faith. But he was also the the last surviving apostle of the 12 original group. All the others had been been killed in this process. um, And so he knew that he was an eyewitness to what Jesus had done and said and taught and his resurrection, and all the different parts of it, and was, was the best friend of Jesus, and, and very, very close. For example, this is a real important, and really it just hit me as I was preparing for this message. Uh, in the first 34 verses, John gives us a complete picture of the Trinity. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's something that was developed as they were Trying to explain uh, a concept that was very difficult to understand in that process, so it was becoming distorted in different places. But in John, very clearly talks about you know Jesus uh, with God in the beginning and, and, and the create and um, and the creation, all that. And then down here in this scripture, he talks about the Holy Spirit, the three parts, the three persons of God who is one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, eternal. This is why the importance of the first seven church councils was so essential. Because by that time, and that was in the um, fourth and fifth centuries, um... They had really gotten implanted a lot of these heresies, false teachings, and false things that were happening. So they had to meet, and they had to study, and they had to discuss and look at the scriptures. They were not adding anything to scripture. They were clarifying scripture and summarizing it in a way that it would stand up 2,000 years later as we, as we followed these things. And that's where the creeds come from as they develop. The first one being the Apostles' Creed that really started very, very early in the church, um, developed, and then um, the Nicene Creed. And then the the last one, um, which I'm going to mention a little bit more about, is the Athanasius Creed, um, which has a very, very interesting story behind it. So let's look at John, the first chapter, verses 35 to 42. And I want you to notice this pattern of calling and response and action as we look through these pieces because again always when you read John always read him on two or three different levels in terms of really digging into what he's communicating um, in his gospel so the 35 and 36 uh, John the baptizer calls attention to Jesus who's walking by uh, and he says behold the Lamb of God to the two apostles who were standing with him. So that's a calling that he's giving. The two two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. That's a response and an action. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? That's a calling. And they said, rabbi, which means teacher, which is one little hint that John knew that he had a Greek audience out there because he has to explain what a Hebrew word means, um, which means teacher, where where are you staying? That's a response. And Jesus said to him, come and you will see. He's calling. And they came and they saw where he was staying, a response. And they stayed with him. For that day, for it was the tenth hour, which is four in the afternoon, um, as, as you read that and understand, an action. Calling, response, action. Calling, response, action. So now let's jump down to verse 41, where Andrew, he found his brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, calling, It's calling to Peter, He brought him to Jesus, a response. And then Jesus says, he looks at him and he says, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The sign for Peter is Peter. And Peter's life would never again be the same. Calling, response, and action. You know, it's something we do every day in our lives, if you think about it, in parenting, in work, church, recreation. I remember when I first met Kathy, my brother and I were invited to play music at her parents' house for a church youth group event. After meeting her, I was impressed and I wanted to get to know her, so I called, would you like to go run errands with me, that was my opening line. She responded, no, (laughs) Uh, I have something else planned. And I acted, hmm, I need a better plan to to get to know her. So the next day or so, I called again. Hi, I'm playing guitar at a wedding and I would really enjoy getting to know you. Would you like to go with me? You can meet my brother and his wife and their five-year-old son. Sometimes you have to make the call a bit more attractive. And she responded, sure, why not? Not encouraging, but still a yes. (laughs) So I picked her up in my 10-year-old car and began a lifelong process of winning her heart. After about a year, we both felt called to get married to each other. It worked. And here we are, 46 years later. So it's very... (laughs) So it's very, very practical that we see and experience. But let's look at the theology behind those those three words. Call, response, and action. John lays out this pattern in his interactions with all the disciples, with Nathaniel, who's next in in the gospel with that. We are called by God into a relationship with him. That's grace. We respond to God by opening our minds opening our hearts that's faith and we act on our response through changed lives and priorities and we call this works Ephesians 2 10 says that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them So this brings us back to calling and response and action. About 250 years after John wrote this gospel, many of the Jews and Christians had fled Jerusalem to Alexandria, Egypt. And a Christian bishop there was named Alexander one day, noticed outside his window a group of boys who were imitating the ritual of Christian baptism down at the water at the shoreline. He sent for them to come up and talk to them and he discovered that the one who was acting as, as bishop really did a good job in that process. After questioning him this Bishop Alexander told him that his baptisms were good and that based on what the boy had said and done with the water But he didn't want him to continue doing that again until he had properly catechized a person, teaching them the basics of the faith before he did the baptisms. He talked to the group of boys and invited them to begin that journey of theological training to become priest. Well, this boy who had done the the drama as a bishop um, became a priest himself, and eventually became the bishop of Alexandria, had assisted this first bishop, um, and then had become a bishop. bishop. His name was Athanasius, just like the creed. He would almost single-handedly save our Christian faith from the heresies of Arianism, He got exiled five times by the the Roman leaders there. And he went to a monastery where he really went deep in in abiding in Christ and he'd come back. But he really stood almost alone in preventing this, this false narrative that Jesus was created by God. Then he would become a creature, not a creator, as part of the Godhead. And that effectively would have destroyed our understanding of the Trinity... And it really would have altered and, in my opinion, essentially destroyed what we know now as the Christian faith. Now, I'm not going to say much about Athanasius other than to say he was a real rock star, okay, and a superhero and a role model all kind of rolled into one um, person with him. They really should make a movie about about him. And I encourage you to read his books. They're they're still selling I have a lot to learn from him. So he was a bishop in uh, Egypt, in Egypt, I'm sorry, in the 300s. That's 1,700 years ago. And he is so, such a good theologian, and I encourage you to read in the impact that he's had today. But my focus is on his mentor, on um, Bishop Alex, and his response to that group of kids down at the beach when they brought him up. He didn't yell at them. He didn't punish them. He didn't say, you're not qualified to do this. He listened to them. Listened to God's calling in them. He showed them grace. God's grace. And his response was to thoughtfully hear what they were saying and to really pay attention to that. That was his response to them. And his action he took was to invite them into a deeper walk with Jesus. A deeper place in the world. He had no idea that one of them, after he had died he had done a lot in terms of developing the Nicene Creed and Ath- Athanasius was assisting him but he was, Athanasius was not really involved much with that. But then he died and Athanasius became the bishop and then he's the one that really um, you know, saved the day in that sense with it. But the bishop Alexander he didn't know He was, these were just kids that he was willing to show some of God's grace and patience and love and encouragement to. You never know the difference that a gentle word will make in a person's life. In our epistle reading this morning, Paul writes that we are called by the will of God, that he was called by the will, will of God to become an apostle of Christ Jesus that those sanctified in Christ are called to be saints saints together. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see in today's scripture calling, response, action, which are really expressions of grace and faith and works. But there's one more important part of that picture and that's Gifts. Our fulfillment from the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives his body to become the body of Christ on earth. Mother Susan gave us a wonderful presentation on the Holy Spirit at the Joys group this week. And we're also having a retreat right here at Servants on Friday night and Saturday, January 27th and 28th. Um, about gifts and finding them, understanding the theology behind them, and to really engage and recognize that everyone has a gift. Everyone's called f- to ministry. Some are set aside to help develop that, and that's the role of the clergy. Is that, but it's your ministry as the body of Christ. And that's why we've developed this system that has a lay-led ministry teams, I think 21 different teams that we have right now um, that you can get involved in, discover and use your gifts for the kingdom of God. But you know that very few of us will become famous or make the history books or become a legend. But it's the unnoticed things we do to ease someone's pain, to comfort their grief, to wipe away their tears, or to remind them that they're not alone. These things matter. If you're raising kids and you feed them when they're hungry and clean up after them when they make a mess, you like that sign mess, correct them when they make mistakes, Help them learn. Tuck them into bed after reading them one more story and then you yourself fall into bed exhausted. These things are sacred and they're so important. They matter to your child, your spouse and to God. They matter to God. The flowers you plant, the yard you cut, The car you wash, the clothes you fold, the trash you pick up, all these things matter. The mundane, mundane things in life matter because they are good. And all good things come from God. In fact, we're preparing this place, this world, for the coming of the king, the coming of the kingdom. Most importantly, you matter. Regardless of whether you accomplish a lot or a little every day and and you're written up about or whatever, the fact is that God doesn't want us to compare ourselves with each other. That's divisive. You matter simply because you were created by an amazing God who sent his son into the world to make it possible for us to know God the one who knows the number of hairs on your head, the thoughts in your mind, the feelings in your heart, you are a miracle. And you have God to thank for that. We are image bearers of the one true God, the most high God. And that's enough. That is enough. It's enough because Jesus was more than enough. Jesus asked, What are you seeking? He asked us, What are you seeking? If you're seeking forgiveness and hope, this is the right place. Come and see. Oh, glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, in the beginning, is now, and forever. Amen.